You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Psalm 40, my help and my deliverer. Let me read the first five verses with for you if you are there. And it goes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Lord, yes, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And your works in our lives and what you have done for us is more than can be told, more than can be proclaimed, more than can be sung in these words, these songs that we sing, Lord. But Lord, we thank you that you are our ever-present help in time of trouble, Lord, that you are our help and our deliverer. And as we come to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to all that you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, there's an old English proverb that goes, all good things come to those who wait. And no, that's not in the Bible. But Abraham Lincoln, who, you know, didn't want to be outdone by those pesky colonial oppressors, said this, things may come to those who wait, but only things left behind by those who hustle. And that's more like the American spirit. There's also another saying that says that God helps those that, who help themselves. You might say, well, I like that Bible verse too. And you'd be wrong because it's not in the Bible. But it does embody the American spirit. But what happens when you find yourself in a place where you can't help yourself? Where you can't help yourself, whether by your own decisions or actions or of no fault of your own, you find yourself in a situation where you are without answers, there's no escape. You're in desperation. You're overwhelmed. You're suffering loss. You're paralyzed in your fear. You feel abandoned. This just doesn't seem to be a way out. We are there at the mercy of our circumstances. You're praying, but is God even listening? Is he even listening? Maybe, maybe you feel like, well, God, he's listening, but he just really doesn't care because where is he? Why has he not heard the cry of my heart? Why is he not here on time? Maybe you feel like he's angry with you. Maybe your poor choices in life have created the separation. You know, you're like, well, I'm just reaping what I have sown. There's such a wide range of situations and circumstances and human experience that, that find us here at the bottom of the pit of destruction or the horrible pit or the slimy pit, depending what translation you have. In that miry bog, there's no way out. You're helpless and alone. And this is the setting here for our study this morning as we look into Psalm 40. What does it mean to wait on the Lord in these circumstances? What, does it, what happens when God doesn't seem to arrive on time? How, you know, when we, how can we keep from being overwhelmed in the present, forgetting God's faithfulness to us, but instead believing in his providence 
in our current situation. As David says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do we have promises in the gospel? Do we have promises in Jesus that would lead us to believe that there is a way out, that our feet would one day be set upon that rock and our steps secured? This is an amazing psalm, and there's so many things in here. And I went on so many rabbit trails this week studying. It was a joy to go through and word studies and go here and go there. But I really pray that the Lord would have a a word for us as the church here at Whitefields and those that might be listening online. And so if I leave some things out this morning, please forgive me. Maybe we'll cover it in a sermon extra during the week with, with Pastor Nick. But these are the four things that I, I kind of want to discuss and, and talk about this morning as we just look into this psalm. The first one is waiting in the pit. The second, the song of rescue. The third, remembrance of past deliverance. And the fourth, Jesus, our help and our deliverer. Now, Psalm 38 gives us some insight into David's state of mind as he waited on God's rescue. So you just want to turn a page back in your Bibles. You can get there, Psalm 38, and we'll just read the first eight verses to kind of get an idea of what, what was David feeling here at the bottom of this pit. You know, these, these, ver- these uh, last four Psalms, 37, 38, 39, and 40, are all kind of grouped together as you close off the first section of Psalms here uh, in in the book. And in 38 verses 1 through 8, he goes, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am Utterly bow down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. But then look on in verse 15. Look down just a few verses to verse 15. After all that, he goes, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. You, O Lord, my God, who will answer. And then Psalm 39, verse 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And then back to chapter 40 in the last verse in 17, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is obviously not the first go-around for David. He, you know, he's been in this pit before. He longs for God's rescue. He is in pain. His strength is gone, but still with confidence, he can say, I will wait patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Before we can move on to that song of rescue, that second point, that song of praise to God, that glorious sense of relief 
and thankfulness that we are free, we should spend some time looking at the pit of destruction here that David talks about. You know, to rejoice in our salvation, we always need to have a firm grasp on where we came from. David, of course, is speaking of a metaphoric pit here and a miry bog, but his, his imagery is very common for this day. We have the story of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 38.8 where he is thrown into a pit, and some translations call it a, a cistern. It says there was no water and that he sunk into the mud. When he was finally released, they had to lower down some old clothes and ropes for them to make like a makeshift cradle to loop under his arms, and they, they pulled him out. You can read the story there. One thing we know and we can know about this pit is that you are not getting out by yourself. No amount of effort on your part, no amount of clawing, no amount of MacGyvering it, attempting to jump or ingenuity, you were not getting out of this pit. And this reference to the miry bog, I think it lets you know that you had probably very little movement as well. You couldn't move. You were stuck in that mud. You were not going anywhere. Now, if God helps those who help themselves, well, then we would really, really have no hope. You know, the more you try, the deeper you sink. It's like being stuck in the snow in your car. You know, the more you give it gas, the more the tires dig in, and the more you go nowhere. Just a lot of carbon monoxide and energy, and it's wasted, right? just keeps digging digger, uh, digging deeper. I remember uh, maybe it was about a year ago, I went snowmobiling with a friend and uh, he let me ride his 800 horsepower uh, snowmobile. And one of those things with the big, you know, big tracks on the back. We had two snowmobiles. There was the one he brought for me, which is like 27 horsepower. And then there was his snowmobile, which was 800 horsepower. And he let me ride it, you know. And you know, all those horsepowers are on this little lever on the handle. And it's, I never got quite the hang of that. That was a lot of horsepower. Well, needless to say, we're, I was way out of my league. He let me ride this thing. We're up in the mountains. It's like 11,000 feet. The powder is like up to your neck. You're in the back country. Nobody hears you out there. And like, well, during one of my many falls on this thing, I got this thing stuck. And none of those 800 horsepowers did me any good. The more I gave it gas, the deeper we sunk into that ground, into that snow. And finally, it was just the two of us at 11,000 feet, all in our gear, and it's like minus 15 out. You know, with our four hand powers, we are digging the snowmobile out. You know, and this is that same pit, you know, that David is speaking of, that without the hand of God reaching down, reaching down and grabbing hold of us, we are not getting out of that pit. Our own efforts actually hinder our ability to move and to progress and to get out. But what is it like to be stuck in this metaphorical pit of destruction? Well, it's just that. It's a pit of destruction. It destroys us. It destroys us. And we are suffering through trials. Many times we feel those walls closing in around us. Our, our lives become very one-dimensional. We feel very alone. We feel like we are paralyzed. Our, our anxieties are heightened. Our, our, our fears are heightened. We're stuck. We, we can't move, you know, which leads, of course, some to claustrophobia, which then leads to panic attacks, which, and then the cycle goes on. Such a feeling of helplessness. If you're not rescued, you're going to be destroyed. Have you been there? Are you going through that right now? Right now, we are in a pandemic pit of destruction, right? 
feels like there's no end. When is this going to end? We we're, feel so restricted. We feel so alone. We might feel desperate. Our world has become very one-dimensional. It's all about COVID-19. It rules our airways. It rules our conversations. It rules our news. It rules our decisions. It's the source of conflict. Is there a way out? Will it, get, will it end? Is, is there going to be a rescue of some kind? And honestly, I don't have an answer to that question. But David provides us with some insight into how we can move forward and how we can cope and deal with being stuck in the mud, in the miry bog and waiting on God to incline to us and hear our cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. If we read this in the Hebrew, it says, waiting, I waited, waiting, I waited. And this is not, this is not a, a word of resignation. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm done waiting, I'm waiting, but I'm done waiting kind of idea. You know, when, when I was in the Marine Corps, we had a phrase called, hurry up and wait. You know, they make you, you rush and you have to be somewhere on time and you're rushing to get there. And of course, they make you stand for like two hours doing absolutely nothing. And like, why did I, you know, why are we waiting? We're waiting, you know, it's just absolute waste of time. But this is not as what, what this word is. I waited patiently for the Lord. This is not a, a passive waiting. Another way to say it would be, I hope intensely. In the Bible, patience is persevering towards a goal. It's enduring trials or expectantly waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. James 1, 2, uh, verses 2, 3, and 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or produces patience, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, as the old saying goes, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. You know, that's the American spirit. Give it to me now. That's the way we are. But David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. Who did David wait for? Who was David waiting for? David was waiting for the Lord. And if you are underlining in your Bible, just underline that, circle that. I waited patiently for the Lord. Remember in Psalm 38, 15, we read, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. When you are stuck in that mud, in that pit of destruction, in that horrible pit, in that slimy pit, who and, and, and me, who are we waiting for? Because, you know, we are so prone to take matters into our own hands. We like to fix things. We, we like to find solutions and this is not necessarily a bad thing. We are created. Do you, you know this? We are created in the image of a God who finds solutions. Jesus was the ultimate solution to our problem of sin, our problem of separation from God. Jesus was the ultimate solution. If we know anything of the Bible, we know that we need to wait on God first. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Matthew 6.33, you know these well, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. You know, our salvation, you know, we're told to clean yourself up, determine to live a better life, and then go to God, right? No. Jesus says this. He says in Matthew 11.28, come to me, come to me first, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. We're waiting on the Lord. Psalm 130 is a beautiful psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Who are you waiting for this morning? Who is your help and your deliverer? Do you know who your God is? Psalm 58, I mean, Psalm 56, verse 58, and I probably should have just entitled this a study in the Psalms because we're spending so much time just talking about various Psalms because they're so beautiful. Psalm 56, 8 says, You have kept count of my tossings. You've numbered, or another translation, numbered my wanderings. God knows. And you've put my tears in your bottle. You have put my tears in your bottle. This is your God. This is my God. He knows my tears. He knows. He understands. He sees. God sees you and I, sees you and I in that pit. He is not aloof. He's not disconnected from our pain. He understands more than anyone our sufferings. His heart towards us is nothing but love and understanding. But then why doesn't he come when I call? Why doesn't he lift me out of that pit? Why does he seem to take his time? Can't he see I hurt? Can't he see I have no strength? Can't he see that I'm at the end of my rope? I'm stuck here. I'm helpless. And I think these are all valid questions. We ask these questions. David asked these questions. But what if it's enough to know that God is with you in the trial? That Jesus is in the boat in the storms of your life? What if it is enough to know that he is there with you in the trial? What if the only time he inclines to you and hears your voice is is to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master? What if that, and you see your your savior, your uh, deliverer and helper face to face there in heaven? What if? This world is a pit of destruction, longing for the deliverance of a Savior. David says in Psalm 63.3, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And I catch myself saying, is it really? Is it really? Is it enough that his love is better than my life right now? Is it enough? You know, coming to that place of realizing that all things work together for good for those in Christ Jesus and are called together for his purpose. 
that's part of growing in grace and growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. It's that trust that is built in the Savior that we know and love. That even in our pain, we know that as we wait patiently on him, he is working on us. That as we wait patiently on him, he is working on us. Still, I guess the question stands, do good things come to those who wait? Well, it depends on who you're waiting for. Are we waiting patiently on the Lord? But you know that more times, more often than not, God answers our prayers in the present. I'm so grateful I serve a God that answers prayers in the present, that he hears the cries of my heart, the petitions of my soul, and he answers those in the present. As you have prayed, as the church has prayed, God has answered, and there, have been, there has been deliverance. God has answered, and there has been breakthrough. God has answered, and there have been miracles. God has answered, and there has been provision. God has inclined to us, and he has heard our cry, and he has drawn us out, out of that pit of destruction, that horrible pit, that slimy pit, and set our feet upon that rock, and he's made our steps secure. What a glorious time that is. What a testimony to the faithfulness of God. The, the song of praise is upon our lips. The theologian E.M. Blakelock said this, a man cannot flounder in the mud and be silent on the rock. Which brings us to the second point, our song of rescue, the song of rescue, that salvation of our help and deliver should lead us to songs of praise. And that's exactly what it does for David. He says in verse 3, he put a new song on my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And he then continues there in verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Oh, that we would rejoice in all that God has done as much as we complain. As much as we complained in that pit, that we would rejoice on the rock. We have so much to, to sing about and rejoice in as we gather as the body of Christ, as the church here on Sunday mornings, as we remember where we came from and how much God has done for us. There's always something to sing about. Rejoicing in our salvation. I was lost, but now I'm found. That song never gets old. Jesus paid it all. That song never gets old. Great is his faithfulness. That song never gets old. There's a great congregation up in heaven in Revelation 5 in verse 9, and, and they begin singing a new song because they found Jesus was worthy to open the scroll. And they said, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain 
and by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We come on Sunday mornings to join that great congregation in heaven singing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. There's always a song of praise to be sung. And you know what our musical standard is around here? What our harmonic standard is? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. From the bottom of your hearts, sing out to the Lord. These songs we sing help connect the deep emotions of our heart with the truth of who God is. We can hum them during the week and we can meditate and think on his faithfulness. He drew me out from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Which brings us to our third point, remembrance of past deliverance. And like I said before, this was not the first go-around for David, right? He had been in that pit a few times some of his own doing, and some as the result of the trials of life. Remember, we looked at Psalm 63 when he said, your love is better than life. That is why I praise you. And he had been run out of his own kingdom by his very own son, who had wrestled the kingdom away, betrayed his father, wrestled the kingdom away from him, and chased him out into the desert. David had nothing. He had nothing. And he said, your love is better than life. That is why I praise you. We see here in Psalm 40, starting in verse 11, that David again was calling from the pit. You know, in verse 3, he's singing from the rock, and now he's crying from the pit. In verse 11, he says, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your, and your faithfulness will ever preserve me, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be blessed. Please, O Lord, to do. deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Oh, that we would never see the bottom of that pit again, right? Wouldn't it be just great? Like, that was nice, Lord. Learn my lesson. Don't need to go back there. Just easy sailing from now on till we get to heaven. Don't need any trouble. It's all good. Don't want to go back there. But what did James say in James chapter 1, verse 2? 
Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience, and let steadfastness have its effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, James, really? That's a hard one. Count it all joy. And I think the understanding and the application of this verse starts with knowing who we are waiting on. Who is our joy? Who is our help? Who is our deliverer? You know, how many children in the midst of being disciplined by their parents count it all joy? Children, you know, you're like, yeah, this is great, mom. Yeah, I really enjoy this. Dad, yeah, this is great. I really understand what you're trying to do in my life right now. I'm learning. This is great. I love this discipline. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, there's, there's a reason Daddy grabbed my arm right before I ran across the street. I don't know what it is, but I know my arm hurts, and it looks like Daddy's upset. You know, they don't see it. They don't understand. They don't know why. They don't understand the discipline. But as mature, as they mature as adults, and as you matured as adults, you might have seen this. They look back, and they see the bigger picture as they, too, deal with their children. And suddenly, their parents don't seem so crazy anymore. They seem wise. They become thankful for those times of discipline and restriction and trials where they couldn't always get what they wanted. Each time that we believe the promises of God and experience his faithfulness, it builds that trust that he is who he says he is. And every time we experience God's discipline and recognize the purpose, it builds that trust that he is who he says he is. Each time we believe in God's word and see it fulfilled, we trust that he is who he says he is. Each time we wait on him and on his timing and don't try and take matters into our own hands, we trust that he is who he says he is. Each time we venture out in faith, being called out, being led by the Holy Spirit, we trust that he is who he says he is. Each time we choose peace, Instead of anger, believing that God is our defender, we trust that he is who he says he is. And every, every time we take time to think on and rejoice in our past deliverance, we trust that he is who he says he is. That is why we take communion every week. We need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. One week of this world that we live in, and we can be overwhelmed with so much and lose sight of what is important. We need to be reminded, reminded of who is our help and who is our deliverer, who is the one that we are waiting for. For those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, we finished the service with the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in the second verse, it starts out, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And I told you that you needed to go home. Your homework was to find out what that word Ebenezer was. But well, now's the test. No, I'm going to tell you what it is. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, we read, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. What does the word Ebenezer mean? It means stone of help. I raise my stone of help. Samuel laid that stone as a remembrance of God's help in defeating the Philistines, a monument to the faithfulness of God. Each trial that God brings us through is a monument to his faithfulness. It is a reminder that he is who he says he is. 
and he is Jesus, our help and our deliverer, our fourth and final point. And as we come to close with this fourth point, I want to draw your attention to verses 6 through 8. Here we, we see David reiterate the point that it's not what we do, but who we wait for that is important. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David makes sure that the congregation knows that it's not some sacrifice or some offering that saved him. It was not a righteousness of his own, but a complete surrender to the will of God. But not a surrender out of obligation, but a surrender out of adoration. And he knows his deliverer, and he wants the congregation to know him as well. He says that in verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. I want to know my deliverer as David knew him. I want to know him that, in that same way, to have that same kind of trust that David had in the Lord. But I have come to realize that there is a direct correlation between my time in the pit and my knowledge of God. Direct correlation between my time in the pit and the knowledge of God. And though I can't say I welcome the trials, I do know that at the end I know my deliverer even more and the song of praise is even louder in my heart. But I also look forward to that day, that final day, when he reaches down for the final time and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, and I come face to face with Jesus, my help and my deliverer. But we can't conclude our study this morning without looking at that him, Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, our ultimate deliverer, because here he is foreshadowed in verses 6 through 8. And the way we see it is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5. If you want to turn there with me, Hebrews 10, verses 5. These very, very words have been put into the mouth of Jesus. Hebrews 10, verses 5, and we end our time there this morning. Consequently, he starts in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. This new song of David, this praise to God that reveals to us this great prophecy, an amazing foreshadow of an ultimate redemption and deliverance. We were all stuck in that pit of destruction. We were all dead in our sins. And God inclined to us and pulled us out and set our feet upon that rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. We were not getting out of that pit any day. We were stuck. We were stuck there. But by grace, God saved us. There's no sacrifice on our part, no ritual, no offering. Jesus is that single, 
one and only sacrifice on our behalf. His righteousness has become our righteousness. And as the writer here to Hebrews, he continues uh, in his explanation of the text. He starts there in verse 11. And he says, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And as we saw in Revelation 5, Jesus was the one worthy to take the scroll. He is the one that we sing of. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It was Jesus who counted it all joy to suffer for each of us the penalty that was ours alone, to do the will of his Father so that we, this morning, not through obligation, but through adoration may sing the new song he has put in our mouths. A song of salvation, a song of grace, a song of mercy, a song of faithfulness, and a song of praise. Jesus is our help. Jesus is our deliverer. He is the one that we are waiting for. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.